I think the interest in digital storytelling emerged from really wanting to be in conversation with community and how to really share not only the experience of people that participated in the project, but the importance of indigenous communities worldwide. And we really saw the stories and firsthand experiences as a really rich way to get the information out and to to share and reflect. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. We meet with three members of the Cornell Center for Teaching Innovation's digital storytelling community of practice and learn about the podcasts, video stories, and other media projects they are utilizing in the classroom and in the field. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We have Lori Leonard, Amy Kuo Samchnavang, and Shorna Alred on our podcast today. They are part of a digital storytelling community of practice organized by Cornell's Center for Teaching Innovation that explores digital storytelling methods. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Lori, Amy, and Shorna. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Before we hear more about your projects, um, both of which, there are two projects here, both of which have a global education focus, can you please share with us a little bit more about your background and your path with languages? Lori, why don't you get us started? Sure. Um, so I, um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, and that's really how I learned uh, French, and I mm-hmm. also learned um, Kikanga, which is a language that is spoken in what is now the DRC, what used to be Zaire, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer there. Um, And I was also, I then moved to Chad. um, And so I speak a little bit of Chadian Arabic um, and also Sara, which is a language spoken in the southern part of Chad. Wow, wonderful. And what do you do at Cornell? Uh, I'm a professor in the Department of Global Development. Great. Thank you so much. Amy, over to you. So my language experience, um, other than English, I actually was raised speaking Taiwanese. I was born in Taiwan. And um, so my family only speak Taiwanese. But when I entered the school system, I had to learn Mandarin. And um, just it was a, a different time period between um, time history of uh, Taiwan and then uh, for learning the language and then um, so I speak uh, conversationally well <laughs> uh, Taiwanese and Mandarin and mm-hmm. uh, can still read uh, and write uh, just a little bit a little bit uh, a little bit rusty but uh, just uh, but still can be able to pick up a book and uh, uh, read but not scholars scholarly academic <laughs> text. Um, I wish I could. Uh, maybe this is where um, that comes in. But then um, after leaving Taiwan, immigrated to, um, well, before I immigrated to the United States, I actually lived in Dominican Republic. And so I actually learned Spanish huh. um, and then uh, come to um, United States, uh, acquiring the language of English. And um, so that's kind of where um, my language acquisition uh, kind of goes with my migration story. 
Yeah. And then uh, with my added long last name, as you can see <laughs> and Sam pronounced it, um, was uh, um, actually my family member, my uh, my wonderful partner, who's actually uh, whose heritage is uh, Laotian, and so I was exposed to the Lao and Thai language. And uh, for many years, I tried to be fluent in Thai uh, because we don't offer Lao in, in at Cornell. Uh, so I tried to learn Thai with Anjat Nampet's help, uh-huh. and uh, which led me to kind of barely made it through. But Shona and I went to Thailand with the trip. So, um, and now with um, the project in Malaysia, um, um, I think Shona will talk a little bit about that too. Both of us tried to learn Bahasa Malay, uh, but without Bahasa Malay here at Cornell. Um, that uh, we actually been learning Bahasa Indonesia. Um, and um, so these are some of my exposures to language and my own personal upbringing with the language. Wow, those are a lot of languages. Amy, what's your role here at Cornell? I serve as the Associate Director of Community-Based Learning and Partnership in the uh, David M. I. Horn Center for Community Engagement. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Shorna, over to you. Yes, thank you. So I would say that my exposure to languages has been uh, primarily through my work in, in Southeast Asia and uh, working with Ajahn Nampet uh, with Thai and also Ibu Yolanda with mm-hmm. uh, Bahasa Indonesia, which as Amy mentioned, uh, we really utilize um, for working with uh, students and communities in Uh, Borneo, Malaysian Borneo. And also, um, I grew up taking Spanish and learning learning Spanish and also uh, have a research project in the Dominican Republic and um, have spent extended time there as well. Um, And so I would say I just know a little bit about a few languages, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, which is really wonderful because I think that through language, you also learn culture. And that's been really phenomenal is to really not only learn um, the language, but also through through the culture and, and learning about the culture as well. Um, and I would say also really supporting language learning um, more broadly here at Cornell University um, with students that are in the Global Citizenship and Sustainability Program. Um, we've had great partnerships with um, with the language instructors to offer jumpstart language courses to our students. These are one credit language and culture courses that really help our students hit the ground running with regard to doing community-based field work. Um, And we've uh, worked with Ajahn Nampit and Ibu Yolanda with uh, both Thai and uh, Bahasa Indonesia languages and being able to offer those to our our students um, in preparation for the the field experience. Yes, so that would be my language exposure. And what is your role at Cornell? I'm a professor in the Department of Natural Resources and the Environment and jointly appointed in global development. Wonderful. Thank you. So, Lori, let's start with your project. You implemented a digital storytelling podcast assignment in your Global Garbage course. Tell us more about the course in general and what students did for their podcasts. So the Global Garbage course is really a course on the sociology of waste, uh, where students learn to think um, critically about what waste is, 
um, and how maybe our ideas about waste have shifted over time or are different across place. Hmm. Um, we also, uh, students in the course also look at the social lives of different kinds of things. So uh, we think about uh, where our discards go, what the, what the lives of those things are after they leave us, after we put them in the trash bin, things like our clothing or our electronics or the plastic water bottle that we just discarded. Um, they also look at uh, creative reuse, at recycling, at repair, um, at ways of reusing things or um, reascribing sort of value to things that might otherwise be considered waste. And we look at um, questions of environmental justice. We look at where our discards go, where are landfills situated, where are incinerators situated, how do we think about um, people who sort of live and work in proximity to what we think of as garbage and trash. That's what the course is about. Um, the podcasting assignment was designed to create stories about waste, which is a topic that, and about our garbage, which is a, a topic that we don't, we don't think much about. We don't no. think much about and we don't think much about. It was surprising um, if you ask people where their garbage goes, most people have no idea. Uh, and so it was a way to create a public conversation about, about garbage um, and about, you know, those themes that I just talked about. But in particular, where, where our garbage goes, what kind of life it has after it leaves us, and why we consider certain things garbage and other things, you know, things to be waste or, or things to, to have value. I want to take that course. That sounds so fascinating. <laughs> there is definitely a lot that I have to learn. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for educators who are interested in integrating podcasting into their curriculum? Like if they've never done something like this, where can they start? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I was I was actually worried about the technical elements of it, and I think the technical elements ended up being the least uh, difficult and the least problematic. I think our the tools that we have now, even with a cell phone, um, you know, you can make a decent podcast. You can always improve the sound or. Um, uh, you know, improve the, it's mostly the sound, right? But improve the technical elements of it. But it's mostly storytelling, right? So, so I would say spend time thinking about how to tell a story in a concise way um, and, you know, how to edit, how to, how to, how to, you know, capture those elements of the story that are really, really critical to keeping the reader, the listener um, engaged um, I found that the students had the, had, that was the most challenging part. It was also the funnest part. Um, and I think they learned in the process how to be good interviewers uh, because creating a good podcast requires you to create, you know, to do to really good interviews. Um, very small things like not interjecting when people are talking makes the editing process a whole lot easier. <laughs> right? And you only learn that. I'm sure you guys are smiling right now. Um, you only learn that through putting together a podcast. Nope. Um, so I think they, they, learn, they learn really valuable social science skills, which is important to us as to, you know, social scientists and teachers, um, but they also learn how to tell a good story in a compelling way and in, in a concise manner. Wonderful. This is great. Thank you.
Uh, Amy and Shorna, your students created short video stories, for example, about global citizenship that helped contextualize student work anchored in Thailand and Malaysia. Can you share with us a bit more about the work students uh, did abroad and how you worked out uh, your digital project? So the students that are in the Global Citizenship and Sustainability Program, uh, one of the real focuses of that project is, is working with indigenous communities in Malaysian Borneo and really understanding the critical role that um, these communities play in the sustainability of, of the landscapes and the livelihoods in, in Sarawak, Malaysia. And so we, we worked with multiple communities, uh, with Long Lamai, with Cebu, with uh, Machan, with Bawangasan, with with all of these communities, and really uh, helping students to really understand how to do community-based uh, research with with communities that want to uh, preserve their their culture and understand how to build uh, resilience into um, communities that are so uh, critical that house the world's biodiversity that um, have rich. Um, spiritual um, and oral traditions and uh, really are based in this collective identity and responsibility. Um, and so our students, as uh, part of the reflection, were, uh, do what are called digital stories. And it, it's really a collective reflection on the community-based research experience, not only from the perspective of students, but also from uh, community members. Um, and not only Cornell students, but uh, students at our partner universities that are also part of the project team, um, University of Malaysia, Sarawak, and University College of Technology, Sarawak, in addition to Cornell students, work together in teams with community members. So we really saw the digital stories as a, um, a video reflection of and, and summary of the, the experience. The video was just the individual student reflecting on their experience, right? So it's it's they may have spoken about the interactions with other students or with other um, community members, but they didn't actually interview anyone else as part of the reflection. Is that correct? So each um, group did it a little bit differently, depending on sort of how we let mm -hmm. the students uh, sort of produce it. Um, but they uh, often do include members of the community, different uh, students all speaking on the video and reflecting nice. on the experience. Um, and it is a group reflection. So the okay. totality of the digital story really does reflect uh, the collective experience through, the, through including all of those voices. Wonderful. Yeah, I think I would add is to that we... Um, we um, even that it's community-based research and some and um, the storytelling, as Lori mentioned, is also a part of the as the way constructing a podcast. What you see as sort of the final product, but the, before that, there were drafts and drafts and conversations that students have with each other in re, in reflecting. Um, you know, Sam, I wish we had a um, a little hidden microphone, I guess, so we can hear like, what <laughs> you were referring to, um, like how students were processing on their own, that peer-to-peer -peer conversation. So it's not a formal interview process, but in some ways they were in, in, informing each other. And we utilized the framework of Marshall Gann's uh, story of self, us, and now. And so it really helped them to think about what is my story in relation to my partners, 
to the community. And、uh, given that these stories are public, well, that they know that it will be public. That what's the message and what is the collective stories that they would like to share、uh, with the、uh, for and with each other. And so I actually gone through,、um, you know, drafts and drafts, and they had, they had their,、uh, they had their、um, university partners, the students. Uh, Malaysian university partners and students actually part of that process, and receiving feedback,、um, and also getting also、um, sharing the first draft with the community partners,、um, the the elders and the community members of the Long Namai, Bawasan and Machan to get feedback as well, and、um, and also even to the translation. If you notice on the digital story. That they're actually not monolingual. I mean, the the the, the、mm. talk is monolingual, right? But the text that is actually has translated, and so、um, so they really try to, you know, inc- be inclusive as much as、um, look, looking at different way of listening for、um, listening、uh, the story, but also reading、uh, the story. What other techniques did you use to support student production of these videos? So you talked about how students wrote multiple drafts, but then were there other approaches that you utilized to help students as they formulated the final project, the final product? Well, I mean, one thing that really framed the content was、um, decolonizing methodologies、huh. um, by Professor Linda Smith, and that、uh, book really formed the basis. Uh, the primary text for our fall pre-departure course that students take、uh, before doing the field work, doing the community-based research in in Borneo in January,、um, and that really that、uh, book and the core content of the the fall course really focuses on you know building ethical relationships with community, really building、um, a reciprocity. Really understanding how we can work in collaboration with with community and how、um, we can really make sure that we're surfacing、um, important issues from the community's perspective, etc. So I think that really played a strong role in the、uh, digital stories, as Amy said.、Um, we always、um, include both、um, multiple languages so that、um, so that every everyone can. Consume the digital stories, not just our Cornell community here in Ithaca or、um, in, in New York State, but also、um, our, our partners, universities, and the partner communities that, that we work with. So that that was something that was really important and that we wanted to emphasize、mm-hmm. um, in doing the, the digital stories. So, what prompted your interest in digital storytelling, Lori? I'll let you get started on this one. Part of it, a big part of it for this class was my interest in public sociology, my interest in, and I think students' interest、um, in actually speaking to people beyond、um, the professor. Right?、Um, you know that papers are written to one person, and it's typically only one person that reads them. And I think, particularly with a topic that is of public interest and public concern, something like garbage. Um, there's really space for public conversation, and a lot of them were able to engage not just in constructing the podcast, but in diffusing it 
they were able to engage uh, with people mostly in Ithaca, but, you know, beyond uh, Ithaca as well, in sharing those podcasts. It was something that they could share with their family, they, with their friends, um, uh, you know, and that they, uh, that gave them a voice that was bigger than just, you know, writing a term paper. Um, so I think part of, for me, part of the interest in storytelling is always expanding a conversation, engaging other people, um, a new method of, or a new modality for, um, for having a conversation with people. Um, and I think it, it really, um, was a refreshing change for most of the students in the class. So, Laurie, speaking of producing projects beyond the confines of the classroom and the professor, can anyone listen to these podcasts that your students produced? Yes, they're available online. Um, we have a uh, website. It's called Trash Talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Trash Talk. The subtitle is Podcasts in Public Sociology. Um, and they are, they are posted there. And the idea was that from, from year to year, from class to class, um, new students would be able to listen to the podcasts of former students too, right, and build this archive that is all about this topic that is usually hidden from view and a topic that we don't talk much about. And, you know, the student groups took it in all kinds of different directions and talked about all different forms of trash. So, I, you know, I think it's really interesting, and I think as the archive builds, it'll become more interesting. Yeah, you know, I think the interest in digital storytelling emerged from uh, things very similar to what Lori spoke about, really wanting to be in conversation with community and how to really share um, not only the experience of people that participated in the project, but the importance of Indigenous communities worldwide. And we really saw the stories and the personal experiences um, and firsthand experiences is a really rich way to uh, to really get the information out and to to share and reflect um, what the what the students and community communities were learning from you know being part of this collective. And we thought that the digital storytelling was an important way to do that um, with Marshall Gantz's um, you know story of uh, self, us, and now. So really reflecting on the experience, but also carrying it forward to what does this all mean for us moving forward? Uh, another way is, um, I think I said it also in the meeting um, last time, was we kind of want to have something else to read, um, something <laughs> rather than a, a research paper or something a little bit different and um, want to make it a little bit more fun. Um, mm -hmm. And we know that the students are, um, not that we don't like to read a lot, um, it's just something a little bit, um, something a little bit different. And um, I mean, the students, as we travel, we, um, you know, they take a lot of pictures, they take a lot of videos. Nowadays, um, um, they make videos with the phone. Mm -hmm. And so we're capitalizing on some of the, their, this, their, this, their savviness with the technology, um, they just, um I mean, because one of the questions was asked, like, do you provide any technological support? It was actually, we actually did do that. Um, actually, they, they actually say, Amy, did you know about this software? Did you know yeah. about this one? And I'm like, oh, okay. That sounds okay. So just as long as everyone can use it. Um, and um, so it's actually made them allowed to be creative. Uh -huh. And uh, generate um, sort of a new form of expression. 
And um, to mention that they're recording like music and sound, the sounds that you hear uh, in the forest, the sounds that you hear in the village and sounds that in Kuching, the big city that they were able to capture as part of those reflections. Um, so it just allowed to pay attention to different senses, uh, which um, um, that you sometimes can't get that um, textually. Um, so the digital story kind of helps with that. Yeah, I appreciate that you just mentioned creativity because I think anytime we give our students the opportunity to be creative and storytelling is such a fantastic way to do that, right? Um, it's amazing what the students come up with and, and also how engaged they become. So this, these, are, these are really, really wonderful projects. And now I want to be a student again and do it all over. <laughs> Amy and Shorna, are your... Um, digital projects available to the public as well, or are they behind a learning management system? No, we have them posted on YouTube. <laughs> so we have a global citizenship and sustainability playlist on my YouTube channel, which is uh, Shorna Allred. So if you go there, um, there's a global citizenship, global citizenship and sustainability digital stories playlist that has all of these uh, listed, and we encourage listeners to check them out and uh, hope they enjoy listening to them. All right. Well, before we sign off, we'd like to ask each of you to share your favorite word in a language you speak, love, or are learning. Uh, we'll go in alphabetical order on this one. Amy, let's hear your favorite word. Oh, that's really hard to decide. Um, so I have two. Um, the the word that um, what the the, the the I don't know if it's a word that in, in Mandarin, um, and it's actually two characters put together. So um, I've been thinking a lot about um, this word called jiao, uh, which is sometimes you you use it. Um, the literal translation meaning you add gas or gasoline, but but it's usually used like to cheer somebody on, like you can do this go for it. And uh, it's just also, if you think a little bit more, it's like we always need something to get us going. Um, and um, so it's using a lot in sports sense. Uh, in the sports, like people that you can do this and good luck. It's just, um, that's kind of, it gets used in that context, uh, which is also lead me to this like uh, Bahasa Malay that, um, that a word that I've been used quite often to me when I, uh, when, Shona are there. Um, it's um, it's this it this this work uh, bole, and you can't really. I asked them what does that mean, and um, but you can't really translate. So they kind of gets used in a different context. Um, it's like bole bole. It's like you can do this, you can do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But then at the same time, they will get used. It's like bole bole. It's like um okay 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 maybe okay maybe okay and so it's like okay which one is which right but it's just fascinating and just these um so two languages like the mandarin chinese jiao which yeah you can go and go 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 you know and cheer and then bole in bahasa malay you know and i think both of those come in very handy as we near the end of our semester <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, Lori, you're up next. No, that's interesting. I this is a useful maybe counterpoint to Amy's word. Um, it's dunya. 
And dunya is a word in Saramajingai, from the south of Chad. Um, and it's it really means, um, it, it, it's, I mean, I guess one way to translate it would be fate, right? It's fate. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that people use, um, you know, to, it, it's sort of an explanation for things that are really hard to understand, you know, or really hard to accept. Um, and I think it's a convenient word for really difficult times. You know, it's almost like, well, that was meant to be <laughs> dunya. And um, I, I find that, um, I've seen that be very comforting to people and uh, very helpful to people in, 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 in tough times. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. All right. And Shorna, what about you? So I would have to say that uh, one word that comes to mind is prama, which is the Panan word for uh, illumination. So bringing light to uh, darkness. And that word really had a lot of, of meaning for the work that um, we're engaging in collaboratively with the uh, Panan uh, of Long Lamai in Sarawak, Malaysia, and really thinking about the role of knowledge as uh, an illumination, that, that light, that knowledge is light, that knowledge is, um, and learning is something that really helps things to grow and to flourish. And uh, it's also the name of the digital museum that we're working collaboratively to create. So that uh, word parama really had a lot of uh, meaning and resonance to me. Those are all wonderful words. Thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Shorna, Lori, and Amy. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Next week, we will wrap up our season by revisiting our 2019 conversation with Brenda Schertz, senior lecturer in the American Sign Language program at Cornell, with a new audio interpretation. Until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.